0: Welcome to Plato's Pod, where we engage in a group discussion on selections from the complete works of Plato, the philosopher and geometer who wrote nearly 2,400 years ago. Today is April 3rd, 2022, and I'm your host, James Myers. It's a pleasure to be joined in dialogue by members of the Toronto Philosophy and Calgary Philosophy Meetup Groups. Whether you've been with us before or are here for the first time, whether you have experience with or are new to Plato's works, I encourage you to add your voice to our dialogue. To speak, I would ask participants to use the raise hands feature in Zoom, and I will call on you in order using your first name. As always, I have suggested three themes to focus our discussion, which are posted on the shared drive linked to the event notice on meetup.com. As we exchange thoughts on today's reading, I'll briefly summarize and try to connect different perspectives to a common thread of ideas. We can go in any direction the group chooses, but for everyone's benefit, please relate your comments and opinions to Plato's text. After we finish recording in two hours, I welcome anyone who wishes to remain online for Plato's Café, a casual half-hour discussion on Plato or philosophy in general. So today we conclude our reading of The Sophist, beginning at 2.54c, where we left off in our last episode. We will return in three weeks, after a break for Easter, and take up the sequel to The Sophist, The Statesman. The Statesman is the last in Plato's trilogy that began with the Theotetus, with which we ended season one. As we reach the final pages of the Sophist today, we discover the distinction that the visitor from Elia draws between Sophists and certain rulers that we will encounter in the Statesman. Both are ignorant of that which they are imitating, but they use different means to achieve their ends. The Sophist, he says, extracts his wages by using, quote, short speeches and private conversation to force the person talking with him to contradict himself, unquote. In contrast, the ruler who hides his ignorance, quote, can maintain his insincerity in long speeches to a crowd, end quote, and thus merits the name of demagogue, but not the value that he extracts from his unsuspecting subjects. Both the past and present provide us with many examples of demagogues who mock and distort knowledge in their continuing plague on human existence. We can consider today the central themes of the sophist and perhaps relate them to Plato's other dialogues. I have suggested one such association to the mino in respect of knowledge. Certainly, the theory of the forms is among the more prominent, and we can see in this the sophist a particular focus on knowledge and its logical construction in speech and belief. In this context, the visitor explains the association and distinction of the five most important forms, having the names that which is, change, rest, same, and different. The form of the different, he says, is what allows us to say that which is not, not as a contrary of that which is only as something other than that which is. Thus, the visitor preserves the wisdom of Parmenides, whose admonition against the illogic of thinking or saying, uh, in and of itself, that which is not, is related twice in the sophist. The problem with the sophist, the visitor says, is that they attempt to separate everything from every other thing. It is in this dissociation that the sophist holds that which is not to be reality, no less than that which is and thereby denies the existence of copies, likenesses, and appearances of a single reality. In the illogic of this disharmony and disunity of being, the sophist will see himself incapable of falsity, since for him everything is, even that which is not, somehow and inexplicably a limitless reality independent of being itself. The sophist is revealed, however, by the five most important forms, because they necessarily interact in the harmony of association with varying limits, which the sophist will not admit. Some forms mix with others, some exclude others, some are common to all, and some cause division. But any way they interact, the forms are for all time a whole, with the characteristic oneness of their parts. Can logic operate in the past, the present and the future by any other means, we might ask? if that which is not were to exist independently of that which is. So having generally defined the being of that which is as anything having capacity to do or to receive action, the visitor explains that in our spoken languages, we indicate a particular thing about being with both a noun and a verb. He provides examples to demonstrate that we cannot express meaning without the combination of at least one noun as the name of the thing that does or receives the action, and one verb, which indicates the type of action. So recalling as we do from the Phaedo that everything comes to be in opposites, we might appreciate the means by which the visitor reaches an important conclusion at the end of the sophist, by returning to the method of collection and division with which he began the dialogue. By continuously dividing opposites of nouns and verbs in two, the visitor compares production by humans to production by the divine, and reasons that both divine and human sources of production Operate with the same two components, both the original things themselves and the copies of the things. Division of opposites in two removes the common factors to isolate the difference, which in this case is that humans can engage in production either with knowledge or without knowledge, while the gods have no such choice. So, does this seem logical? What is logic and how do we express it? I thought we could take uh, the first part of today's meeting to focus on the forms with your thoughts and with a refinement to the proposition that I introduced last week. But first, perhaps a short discussion on recent changes in the use of language, since language is a feature of this dialogue, might help to set the stage to understand the visitor's assertion that, quote, the weaving together of the forms is what makes speech possible for us, end quote. So let me start by presenting two of several recent changes in spoken language that I have observed uh, and please do contribute others that you can think of. So I wanted to start here with uh, one particular uh, point, uh, which is the, the discussion of nouns and verbs at uh, 262d, uh, which says, since he gives an indication about what is or comes to be or has come to be or is going to be, and he doesn't just name but accomplishes something by weaving verbs with names, that's why we said he speaks and doesn't just name. In fact, this weaving is what we use the word speech for. The Etude says, right. And the visitor says, so some things fit together and some don't. Likewise, some vocal signs don't fit together, but the ones that do produce speech. And he says, further goes on, he says, speech has to be about something. It's impossible for it not to be about something. So one of the things that uh, occurred to me that uh, that seems to be happening in language these days is what I think is a confusion of noun and verb, and also the the timing of the uh, of of what we apply the verb to, and so I've already spoken a number of times about one of my pet peeves, which is uh, the uh, use of the word impact in place of the word effect or the word consequence. So everywhere now, the word impact is used. Uh, as a noun in that sense, um, in, in replacement of the word effect or consequence, uh, but impact is also a verb. Uh, so, in this part of the, the sophist, the, the visitor is saying that we have to distinguish nouns and verbs, and each part of speech requires at least one noun and one verb. So, the noun is the doer or the recipient of the action, and the verb is the nature of the action. So, if we say uh, impacts um in the sense of nouns, as in the sense of effects or consequences, how do we necessarily distinguish that from the verb impact, which means to strike something? And so I actually went back to a 1970s version of the Oxford English Dictionary and looked at the definition of the the word impact at that point. And it was interesting to see that the word impact um, actually did have a relation to an effect. But it's defined specifically at at that point as a strong effect. So it's not something that you would use with an everyday effect or consequence. It was was only at that point something that you would use if the the effect or consequence was particularly important or strong. And now it's come to be used in the the sense of any effect or any consequence in the sense of a noun. Um, So I thought this was an interesting change in the use of nouns and verbs. And also the, the 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 timing of the the verb, you know, whether the verb is it, or whether the action is happening in the past, present, or future. So if we say impacts, if we're saying it as a verb, that would be a present action. Something impacts the ground as I watch it. It impacts the ground um, as as opposed to impacted, which would be in the past, or will impact, which would be the future. Uh, so, that wasn't one example of, of something that I've spoken of before, but just I'm raising it now in the context of nouns and verbs, which the visitor talks about very specifically in today's dialogue. The other example uh, is something that is really grating on me lately, and that's the use of the term was like. Uh, so, instead of saying, I said or I thought, people say, I was like, and you know, or he was like, or she was like. You know, I was I was in, at an event and I said something and he was like, you know, uh, really upset. Um, so, was like has taken the place of a verb. And the verb we're left to wonder in this case is, you know, if we say he was like, um, does that mean he said, he thought, um, he reacted visually, um, he uh, subsequently said something? So it's, it's was like is taking the place of a specific verb. Um, and we're left to wonder what that specific verb means. And that's something that's very, very common now. Is just as I was walking down the street yesterday, just kind of listening to people use the word like. Uh, I realized that it's very pervasive. It, it happens very commonly in speech now. And that's something that I think is is uh, it's an interesting development, but I think it's a very confusing one as to. Uh, you know, whether we really know what they're trying to say when we say he was like or she was like. Um, I'm just wondering where this like came about and why we've lost the ability to say the specific verb. And then I guess the other the other point is the the something that comes out at 259 D. So this is what I've got on the page. Here. And I'll just read this part of this point here from 259 D. So this is a visitor saying, when he says that what's different is the same in a certain way, or that what's the same is different in a certain way, we should understand just what way he means and the precise respect in which he's saying that the thing is the same or different. But when someone makes that which is the same appear in any just, in just any old way or vice versa, or when he makes what's large appear small or something that's similar appear dissimilar, well, if someone enjoys say, constantly trotting out contraries like that in discussion, that's not true refutation. It's only the obvious newborn brainchild of someone who just came into contact with those which are. And he goes on to say, In fact, my friend, it's inept to try to separate everything from everything else. And this is a very important point, I think, that the visitor makes uh, about the sophist, is that the sophist, he says, tries to separate. Uh, the being of of one thing from everything else. So somehow there's this separation in the sophist mind of things that are, and the sophist is not never trying to bring all of the things that are into some sort of logical harmony or logical um, logical uh, combination. So somehow this separation exists. and in you know, as I said, my opening comments, um, how do we how do we distinguish? Reality, if if everything is separate, and including that which is not is separate, uh, and so I think the use of that which is not, which Parmenides um, warns about uh, at several times in in this dialogue, or, or Parmenides' words are quoted as warning about several times in this dialogue, is actually appearing more commonly in language now. And I used the you know I thought of the example of uh, fake news. So fake news is something that we've heard a lot of over the past you know. Five six years, something like that. Um, so, if news is, how can it also be is not? Which fake implies. So, if if news is either uh, news or it's not news, but how can it be fake? Uh, so, it's it's like a contrary. It's like saying news is not. Um, so, it just that was one example that I uh, that I thought of of the way we we're using language and perhaps. And perhaps not heeding the warning of Parmenides, uh, who holds that on its own, that which not cannot exist. Um, so anyway, I just thought I would raise those two points, you know, by way of introducing a few of the, the key things that uh, are said in this last part of the Sophist. And I just wondered if anyone else has any thoughts on different ways that language is changing and how those changes might relate to what the visitor uh, is saying in this dialogue. Steve, your thoughts?
1: Two points quickly. Um, first off, it's I think it's
2: good for us to bear in mind that the Greeks never uh, came up with the concept of zero. So um, you know it took took the uh, uh, in Indian cultures and and Islamic cultures we we got that co- that concept. so, You know, when uh, we have this rule set in place that you can't say that there's nothing that's, you know, has proven uh, not effective in the modern world, that you to negate something is a way of of understanding what that something is. Uh, When you say that, how can you have existence if there's no non-existence? And your other point about the word "like," I th- to me, that seems like "like" is a, uh, a simile, and similes are like metaphors, light, and in, in my, that's my my way of uh, understanding them. And it's a way of comparison between two things. So it's it's a different form of expression, but it's it's I think a very effective. Uh, Expression and perhaps it's because of uh, the prevalence of the internet and people used to interrelating on much broader levels than than they have in the past. So I think that you know the idea that uh, like is diluting the language. I don't, and that might not have been your point. So I'm I don't want to you know mischaracterize what you're saying, James. But I think that um, you know it might be actually. The evolution of language uh,
1: and uh, it seems like it might not be that bad of a thing.
0: Thank you, those, those are fascinating points actually and I, I appreciate what you're saying about the the simile actually is a really interesting way of um, explaining it. Uh, I guess one of my points there was that uh, by use of the simile it leaves us leaves me at least a little bit confused as to the temporality of what's happening. You know, is, is what's happening um, in the present, is what's happening in the past or in the future, and uh, what particular type of action is happening? I guess the simile for me takes away the specificity of the, of the action. I'm left to wonder when we say he was like, uh, whether that means he said, he thought, uh, he did... Uh, the, the nature of the verb or the nature of the action to me is unclear at that point. But as you said, I mean, I, I think there's there's reasons why this has happened. Um, it's interesting that we've moved from a more s- specific way of saying what the action was to a more general uh, comparison type way. So you, you make some really interesting points. And, you, and your point about zero actually was something that I hadn't thought about, although I've been thinking about zero specifically on a number of bases. Um, you know, the zero mathematically has no effect on addition or subtraction, but cancels all, mul- all multiplication. And I think that's maybe an interesting fact that we might kind of keep in mind um, with, particularly with the SOFAS, you know, and particularly with the idea of multiplication of these uh, statements that things are not, if we mean that they are not, um, they are not in and of themselves, as opposed to the way that the the visitor is saying is not can only exist uh, if it's used in the context of difference of one thing to another. Uh, so it's only in the context of difference when is not means other than rather than a negation. Uh, but your point about zero is really fascinating, so I'm going to think about that more and and, and let's others weigh in on that uh, too. So um, thank you for that, and we'll go to J.K.
3: Another example, um, like you said, mentioned fake news, is the term uh, "alternative reality," and that's um, you know, if you, uh, it was one that I think it was Kellyanne Conway who, who was uh, you know was talking to a reporter and, she, and the a reporter, you know, asked her if uh, you know you know what the, some news about something was true and so forth, and of course she couldn't you know deny that. But she said, "Well, there's an alternative reality, in which that's you know that's not true or something like that." But in this uh, in this dialogue, we're talking about reality, right? And is it is it a, is it a refutation of uh, Parmenides' reality that um, that there is only being and that um, non-being does not exist, or and is I mean that. Uh, you know how and also how uh, similar or uh, or dissimilar is that to to the the idea of the forms right because if there's only the being of the forms and which is seems to be what parmenides is saying right there's only one form there's only one reality and there's no um, other reality and there's
1: no um, you know there's no um,
3: you know um there is nothing contrary to that, right? So, so I just wanted the, some clarification about what the, what that uh, <clears throat> uh, you know discussion is right. regarding uh,
0: reality, right? And and that's uh, thank you. And that's certainly something that we will see as we start to talk about the forms. In fact, uh, I've got this distinction that the visitor makes about the five most important forms. Uh, and then he goes on to say, so that which is is one of the five most important forms, but so is the different. Um, but it's his way of saying that the forms blend together. Some, some, um, one negates each other. So some negate each other, like change and rest negate each other, uh, or, or cannot blend together. But all of the forms together always blend. So it's always this logical harmony, or this logical combination of forms that, that uh, you know, that which is not cannot on its own, exist in conjunction with that which is so the only way that which is not can exist is if it's different, or means something other than that, which is so that which is, uh, is one, uh, it, it, there is no, uh, there is no negation of that, which is, uh, we can only have things that are different. But something can only be. Um, there is no such thing as not being. Uh, so that's that's a thing that he, an important distinction that he makes. That so, and we'll see. I think hopefully we'll we'll get into that discussion shortly, and and hopefully that will clarify things as we work through those five particular forms and the way that they blend together. Uh, I, I've actually in the in the notes I've actually tried to distill a couple of pages of the text into about a dozen points, which may help with that um, clarification. So. So yeah, thank you for raising that. And it's something definitely important to clarify. And then you know you mentioned alternative reality, or I think maybe alternative facts was another term that was used. Uh, so you know ex- again an example of language where it's either a fact or it's it's something other than a fact. Uh, but you can't have alternative facts. I mean, it's just it, it seems completely illogical to say that. Uh, and that was a particularly uh, striking example, I think, of of this perhaps misuse of, of language, or at least misuse of a name. So, so the visitor makes the point that everything has a name. We we give every specific thing a name. And so if you say fact, that name implies uh, that it is real. And so how can you say that it's not real if it's – how can you say that something is not – is real and then you say, in the other hand, that it's not real. It, that, that's a complete confusion, I think. And that was a good example of, uh, of of an interesting use of language. So we'll move on to that clarification very shortly, I think, when we start discussing the forms. Um, so thank you for that. And we'll move to Darren and then Jose G.
4: Um, so I think there's a recognition um, on Plato's part and in his dialogue that uh, language is really messy. So, at the I think at the very start of the dialogue, we had Socrates ask um, Theodorus, uh, "Are you bringing a
1: visitor?" Um, sorry, let me try to find this. Uh, thought I had it quoted, but oh,
4: here, here we go. Uh, so this is at yeah two one six B in the middle of it. Um, and he asks if he's bringing us sort of God, a refutation to keep watch on us and show how bad we are at
1: speaking and to refute us. Um, and then the visitor himself at, I was,
4: I was picking up on this stuff because I thought like throughout uh, reading this dialogue, I thought it was interesting how, um, they often pointed out how hard it is to speak certain things or whether it's even possible to speak of some things. So this, this interface with of knowledge and being with language, I think is really fascinating um, and how Plato acknowledges its difficulty. Um, so I think an important passage here is at 267 um, D where the visitor, where he, so here they're drawing all these distinctions as we're heading towards the end of the dialogue and we're finally, um, finally hunted down and cornered the sophist. So here, um, when he's attempting, when the visitor attempts to draw one sort of distinction, uh, he says, uh, where would you get a suitable name for each of them? Isn't it obviously hard to just because the people who came before us were thoughtless and lazy about dividing kinds into types. And so they never even tried to divide them. That's why we necessarily lack a good supply of names. Still, even though it sounds daring, let's distinguish them by calling imitation accompanied by belief, belief mimicry, and imitation accompanied by knowledge, informed mimicry. So here he's actually had to like reach for new terms or create new terms in order to make, in order to be able to say what he wants to say, because our language, like, unfortunately, our language isn't like mathematics. It's very messy. It, there's distinctions that need to be drawn that aren't drawn, um, and so we we confuse concepts and ideas. And then sometimes, I think earlier in the dialogue, there was another interesting point about how we have sometimes like many words for one thing, and how some some people like um, I think he mentioned like old people or something. <laughs> they like enjoy playing around with that. Like they enjoy like this sort of game in in language. And uh they, they, they have a lot of fun with that and they think you can say lots of like wise things with it, but it's just like it, it, it but all this I, I feel like the visitor and I, I I think the visitor is it could could be said to be represented of Plato here, um uh, maybe um is saying is, is suggesting that you know language um or recognizes that language is messy. So um, and I'll just wrap up with um final thought here. Um so which is that, um, I think this uh this is part of the passage that uh, James read earlier um um at the very beginning, where um sorry, I'm trying to just jumping all over this dialogue here, um
1: was it, yeah, so, d yeah
4: yeah, right, so yeah, two fifty nine d exactly, that's exactly the spot, and um where he says uh we we. When when someone says that something is different or is something, we need to understand just what way he means and the precise respect in which he's saying that the thing is the same or different. Um, so, like, this is something we need to be conscientious of because our language is messy, that it's possible for someone to say something is different <laughs> or the, or the same or whatever and make a lot of, uh, cause a lot of confusion based on that. So there's a bit of sort of cautionary warning here. And it's probably no like accident that we wrap up the dialogue by turning to language again. Like that's sort of like um, the language or the dialogue segues to the problem of language. Um, and it's not a surprise that the dialogue's about the sophists because mm-hmm. <laughs> um it sort of all comes full circle at the end. Like we have all this like discursion about um being, but then in the end we come back to language because that's sort of where the sophist resides, and just playing around with all these potential confusions simply because our language is very mm-hmm. um it's not like pristine, it's very um um, it's very messy.
0: Mm-hmm. You made some really interesting points there, and I think you know that this messiness of language or maybe the fact that uh uh you know I think as Steve maybe said at the beginning there that, that language evolves, and so it it's never static and it's always changing, and so we always have to main main you know keep ourselves on top of these changes, you know as to what people mean specifically and and you made a very uh, that part that you read just kind of at the end about you know needing to be precise as to why something is different, I think is very important. I think it's actually increasingly important, you know, especially as you consider um, you know this this um, desire by some corporate entities and maybe by some other people to abandon what is natural reality and to move into what's called the metaverse. Uh, so if we have enough trouble distinguishing, knowledge, which is communicated by language. And I think that's maybe the importance of language that's really being uh, emphasized in this dialogue is that language is the means by which we communicate knowledge. If we don't understand that communication we're not being precise as to why things are different, then if we kind of abandon this reality that we're trying to live in together and move into some metaverse type of, you know, manufactured reality, uh, you know where where will that leave us um so I think that's it's a very critical point um that you raise you know in this this evolution or messiness of things that we, it's something that we need to sort out and I think and th- I think that's really what he's trying to say with this dialogue one, one of the such a key part of what he's trying to say with this dialogue so so thank you for that we'll, we can certainly return to those themes and um, explore them further and we'll go um to Jose G and then the Steve Jose.
5: Yeah, first of all, um, a quick adjustment to what Darren was saying. I think it is more uh, the language is not messy as much as our use of the language. And in that respect, I would agree. But it's the use of the language, not the language. Um, Another distinction that I would make is if you notice, the language changes first with the teenagers. And we all have been teenagers, and we all try to use the language that everybody else uses because of acceptance, insecurities, whatever you call it. But then I noticed the like, for instance, many, many years ago, I started to notice it with the teenagers. Like, 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 almost like saying, right, 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 like, 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 like. And all of a sudden, I said, well, that's a teenager, teenager thing. And I started to see it with adults. Now. I will make one example, uh, and if you notice this, when you, when you observe the lawyers uh, in the prosecutor, the defense lawyer, the judges, when they are conducting their business, they don't use like, ever. They only use like when they're talking to the press, they want it to be a little political about certain things. And I once I asked my lawyer, why is it that you guys never use like? And uh, like he said, like what? <laughs> Obviously, but, and said, so, well, like using an analogy or a metaphor, like like when I turn on the car and all of a sudden there is this noise, like when I go for a vacation. And he said, because metaphors or analogies are subject to interpretation. That was a very interesting word. In other words, saying if you want to speak clearly, don't speak in analogies because it's subject to the interpretation of the of the receiver. Anyway, that was one example. And finally, I wanted to mention that once I came across that uh, this fellow, uh, this philosopher, Wittgenstein, had written the fact that language, philosophy was not a problem, that all the problems of philosophy were problems of language. That caught my attention, right? And I wrote it down as one of my 233 to-do's to read once about this fellow. But then I read... That he, in fact, in, in, in another uh, reference, that he had recanted that. He had turned around and he had uh, rewritten his uh, initial thesis about the language. So I don't know what to think, but I thought it was a good starting point for him to start pointing the finger to the use of language that creates a problem that doesn't exist just because we are misusing the language. I mean, the concept seemed fascinating, but as I said, I have to clear 232 to-dos before I get to that one.
0: Thank you. And I, 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 if you've got 232 to-dos, I might have 233, but it's uh, one of those things that we, we you know, and, and certainly what you just mentioned about Wittgenstein is really something that uh, I actually would like to look into myself. You know, it's something that... Uh, uh, I actually tried to read a little bit of him some years ago, and it's something that I really should get back to, especially now knowing what you just said about, about you know, this, whether whether he thinks that there's languages, the problem or not. It's a really um, fascinating thing, but I, I find your your um, your use of the example of lawyers was actually really interesting and quite relatable. Um, you know the, the 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 fact that the word like leaves us uh, or leaves some room for interpretation, and so um, that's something that uh, maybe that we need to consider: is to what extent can we interpret things if there are, you know, more people and more different ways of using the language? I think that's um, that's quite important. Um, you know, I think you mentioned teenagers, you know, maybe being on the forefront of some of the change in the language. And I wonder if some of that is as a real result of technology as well, because certainly when I was growing up, there was no Internet and there was no texting and there was no uh, short forms like LOL and uh, LMAO and um, IMHO and, you know, all of these things that just sort of now are, people are expected to understand because we use these short forms in our texting um you know and, and that's something that you know technology can certainly drive changes in languages and i think probably the internet has been a major driver of uh, change in language just in in the use of these short form uh communications and in the transition maybe away from spoken language to more text-driven language and that's maybe something that we can explore as well that uh, that change you know when you use words uh, you can ex- you can use nuances and tones in your voice to express meaning whereas in a text message uh, you have to be uh, you know you have to express meaning a little bit differently so certainly an important point I just I wanted to raise it because I mentioned in the um, uh, in my introduction that I've tried to draw some analogies between different dialogues and this is something I, I always do I think uh, in every session that we have is to, to try to, Put the common points that Plato, you know, touches on in a number of different dialogues together. There's w- there's one particular part that I really like in Mino, and I've mentioned it before. This is 98a in Mino, uh, where Socrates says, "For true opinions, as long as they remain, are a fine thing, and all they do is good. But they are not willing to remain long, and they escape from a man's mind, so that they are not worth much until one ties them down by an account of the reasons why. And that, Mino, my friend, is recollection, as we previously agreed. After they are tied down. In the first place, they become knowledge, and then they remain in place. Um, and this really struck me, you know, in the context of the sophist, you know, that if we're using language to communicate knowledge, then language has to give that account of the reasons why. It's something that I mentioned actually, uh, in every notice that I post for these events, is that knowledge is the account of the reasons why. That just really strikes me. Um, and in this little part from 98A Amino is also... Uh, You're repeating what he says in a number of different dialogues uh, that knowledge is recollection, Uh, and this is something that I bring about in my particular definition of the forms that I mentioned uh, last episode, and I've I've got a refinement today that I'd like to present for some thought and discussion, and to see what other people think the forms actually are. But I think they they are a means of recalling um, knowledge. Um, So. Uh, this is just something I wanted to mention because the account, if we're giving an account with our speech, either, uh, either in spoken words that flow through the mouth, as Socrates, or as the visitor mentions in this dialogue, or in thought, which is uh, which is a form of speech, but it's a speech that occurs uh, with the soul uh, by itself, with itself, uh, and that's a distinction that's made near the end of the sophist, is, is that there's that form of internal speech, um, either way, we're trying to give an account, and how is that account complete uh, if it's unclear? You know, and and so Jose, you mentioned this this you know the, the, whether something is subject to interpretation that can give rise to uncertainty and unclarity, and I think I think that's something that we need to consider. So I just wanted to mention this point about Lamino that I uh, brought into this uh, to the notes for today's session as well. So. Um, let's go to Steve, and then maybe we can look at the form specifically, Steve.
2: So, uh, what Jose mentioned about uh, teenagers and the change of language made me think about when, uh, when I was a teenager, the big thing we all were saying was far out. And uh, you know, I made me also think about Marshall McLuhan, who was a philosopher of the of that era. Who talked about from some of his books were like from words like was uh, archetype to cliche. Uh, So you see, you know things like far out was a something that nobody could understand. But I think there's a it's more of a cliche now. Um, There's things like uh, like again there are are the expressions uh, turn it up to eleven, which is like which is like, again, I can't stop saying it. It's a expression that was from a movie. Uh, People say, I grok it, which is an expression from a science fiction book, but it's generally understood by a wider group of people than ever read the science fiction. Another one of Marshall McLuhan's book was Media Hot and Cold, and he described the changes in media in that time It was from uh, print and uh, movies to TV. So he described how language was changing to reflect the type of media that was prevalent. And the type of media that's prevalent now is the internet. And this could also be just a change of expressions, not necessarily less clear. But just more adapted to the to the the type of uh, media that we are uh, uh, using these days, and just briefly to close out about the change in difference no I'll leave it at that I'll just leave it at that so we can move on thanks
0: thank you and and those I think are really interesting points you know the far out and if we go even maybe a little bit further back, the word groovy, which uh, <laughs> I used, to, I used to know somebody used that word all the time, things are groovy, that, that's kind of really 60s word. I, I like it though, It's. Uh, I find it interesting. It's, it's very action driven, I think so. Um, and your use of McLuhan, I think it, really interesting actually use of McLuhan. McLuhan is someone who I spent a little bit of time with, uh, particularly in the context of his 1962 book, Gutenberg Galaxy, which I'm actually using some excerpts from in the book that I'm writing. Um, and certainly he highlights in that the, the then new technology in 1962 of, t- of television, and in fact, the, the screen itself, which, you know, when I go back and I read the words that he wrote in 1962 in Gutenberg Galaxy, I find that I can apply them actually very, very much so to the screens that we now use. I mean, the screens that we now use are not necessarily television, uh, but they are still two-dimensional screens having length and width but no depth and the depth on the screen is the perception of the person who is creating that image on the screen. And we are consuming that, that we we're, we're limited to length and width in the depth in, in on the screen. The depth is not our perspective. It's the perspective of the person who's, who's uh, prepared or, or filmed that image and is presenting it to us with, with the opinion that's inherent in the depth of that image. So it's really interesting. Uh, and, and certainly, as you mentioned that, um, you know the the idea of archetype to cliche. That's something actually I'm going to look up in in terms of how McLuhan uses. I'm really interested in in the way you inter- introduce that word uh, archetype. So so thank you. Well, I I think those those are some really great thoughts on on the evolution of language, and they really touch on you know a couple of the very key themes in today's uh, in today's reading as as we you know conclude on the Sophist. You know the the idea that Every time we speak, we have to have at least one noun and one verb. The noun being the the doer or the recipient of the action, and the verb being the nature of the action. The, the verb describing the action itself. Uh, and and certainly um, the visitor gives a few examples of of how you cannot speak with all just nouns or all just verbs. I think he gives a couple of very interesting short examples of that near the end of the of the Sophist, and um, and then. Uh, uh, certainly this idea of falsity, uh, falsity can only exist if, um, if being is chopped up into all sorts of infinite parts, which which never reconcile, ne- never tie together in some sort of logical harmony. And that's why uh, repeatedly through the sophist, the point is made that uh, being has no contrary. So that which is not Cannot on its own exist. It can only exist in the context of the different. And so, uh, that's maybe a, a way of introducing the um, the idea of the forms. And you know, let's just discuss the forms. I want to you know kind of get people's thoughts on what what you think the forms are. Uh, and I'll present maybe if if I've given an opportunity why I think the forms are in some more precision than I presented at the in my opening remarks of uh, the last session. Um, so I'll just I'll just maybe start by reading this part at uh, two uh, two fifty four C uh, to introduce the thought, and then I've I've made the logic from two fifty five C to two fifty seven B. Uh, there's a couple of pages uh, where uh, there's a series of logical developments um, on the the nature of the forms and how they associate. Uh, and I've tried to distill them down into just, you know, uh, 12 point forms. So uh, or, or 12 different points. Um, so we'll we'll go to there. But I, th- I just thought I'd start by reading this part here at 254C, if you'll, uh, if you'll bear with me. So the visitor says, we've agreed on this. Some kinds of forms he's talking about, some kinds will associate with each other and some won't. Some will, to a small extent, and others will associate a great deal. Nothing prevents still others from being all-pervading, from being associated with every one of them. So next, let's pursue our account together this way. Let's not talk about every form. That way we won't be thrown off by dealing with too many of them. Instead, let's choose some of the most important ones. First we'll ask what they're like, and next we'll ask about their ability to associate with each other. Even Mm -hmm. if our grasp of that which is not isn't completely clear. Our aim will be to avoid being totally without an account of them, so far as that's allowed in our present line of inquiry, and see whether we can get away with saying that that which is not really is that which is not. The most important kinds we've just been discussing are that which is, rest, and change. And we say two of them, And and here's just a reference to the discussion of change and rest that came earlier in 250 to 251 that we looked at uh, in our last episode. It says, we say that two of them don't blend with each other. But that which is blends with both of them, since presumably both of them are. We do have three of them. So each of them is different from two of them, but is the same as itself. But what in the world uh, but what in the world are the same and the different that we've been speaking of? Are they two kinds other than those three, but necessarily always blending with them? And do we have to think of them as uh, them all as being five and not three? Change and rest are certainly not different or the same. Whatever we call change and rest in common can't be either one of them. Then change would rest and rest would change. In both cases, if either change or rest comes to be either the same or different, then it will force the other to change the contrary of its own nature, since it will share in its contrary and both do share in the same and in the different. So this is the start of this logical train as to how the the forms associate and blend with each other. And it's not to say that every form blends with every form. Some forms clearly don't blend like change and rest, which we looked at or started looking at in, in two weeks ago. Uh, don't blend with each other. Like, one, you you can't have change and rest simultaneously, so they can't blend. Uh, But the different uh, blends with that which is. Um, So, but I think what he's trying to say here is he's he's trying to tie all of these forms into some harmony and logic in their account. And he uses the word account several times here. And that's why I raised Mino, that 98, uh, uh, what was it, 98A, I think, from, uh, from Mino. Uh, this idea of this account that we have to make with our knowledge. And so I, I'm thinking that the forms are very much some sort of knowledge accounting device. Uh, and so I wanted to to raise that thought and, and to see what, what people think about this. And and then also what, what you think about this idea of this, this blending or combination of the forms. Do the forms have to combine always as one as a whole? You know, we, we saw that in, in two weeks ago when we talked about um, the distinction between the whole and the one, uh, something a thing is a whole. Uh, it, but and and it has, but if it has parts, the parts have the characteristic of oneness. So that was how the words whole and one were tied together. Um, so I just wanted to get some thoughts on this particular part here, and it's it's, as I said, it's really the introduction of. Uh, of this part here from 255C to 257B that I'm just putting on the screen where I've tried to summarize the the logical development of this argument that's uh, introduced uh, that I just read uh, from 254C.
3: JK, your thoughts? Yeah, I wonder if this idea of the whole one-to-one one, uh, <laughs> violates the, um, you know, um, or qualifies for the um, the uh, um you know, um, paradox of um, you know um, contradiction.
1: You know the that if you um,
3: you know um, if you have a whole if you uh, if uh, if if a set can um, can a can a set can there be a set of all sets and does that does that you know reach that
1: you know qualify for that kind of paradox.
0: Really interesting question the the the, the paradox that Bertrand russell raised uh and, and the way i like the way you, you put it can there be a if if everything comes to be as sets and maybe we can think of um you know as as we've mentioned before from the Fido, you know the 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 um the statement that everything comes to be an opposite so if we think of opposite things or these pairs of opposites as sets you know like the large and the small the hot and the cold um, maybe if we think of these things as sets, then, as you said, uh, you know, is there a set of sets, uh, or is is everything necessarily just a set on its own? And maybe that's a really good way, JK, of, of raising this distinction at the end that is made uh, about that which is, uh, and and the claim that the sophist thinks that that which is equally exists with that which is not, and therefore. There are infinite sets, and nothing that ties them together. And maybe that's a really interesting way of, of putting this concept of harmony and logic in the the consistency, the self consistency of the forms. Um, I really like that. Actually, it's uh, Russell's paradox. I mean, what what do you, what do you think about that? What do others think about that? Yeah.
3: Also, is it is also um, with would uh, um, consistency theory apply here too? You know the idea that if it's consistent, it's not complete, and if it's complete, it's not consistent, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Interesting. I I haven't heard of Gödel's. I guess I've always heard of it as the incompleteness theorem. Um, But as you say, it's it's then talks about consistency. Um, Yeah, really interesting thoughts. Really interesting thoughts. I'm going to think about that. But I I think certainly this, you know, the the question of how you get consistency if there's incompleteness and the question of, you know, is there a set of sets, a combination of all sets? And what do you call that combination? If each set is a whole on its own, what do you call the whole combination of all of the sets? Is it more whole than the whole? Um, Really fascinating. And I think it's actually something that we will face with quantum mechanics, which are still not fully understood, and that's why I've put this little. I do keep talking about the qubit. the the The, the qubit is the uh, unit that will transmit information in the quantum computer, and the qubit has two states of existence um, simultaneously because quantum quantum states are both they both exist and do not exist at the same time. Uh, so the qubit, is, so the quantum computer will entangle with the quantum physics of the universe, and provide the superposition, uh, or simultaneous existence of that which is and that which is not. Uh, and this is something that is a geometric object. I think Plato would love to look at the qubit, uh, if if this drawing were presented to him. Um, and I just I put this, I, I won't read this, uh, you know, out for the um, out for the the podcast, but you know it's here in the notes for those who want to look at it. What I do with this drawing of the qubit is I actually managed to use the words "capacity," which the visitor says uh, anything which is has capacity to do something or to have something done to it. And we saw that in our in two weeks ago in that part in the middle part of the sophist that we talked about. So I managed to use the word "capacity." I managed to use the word "that which is." The, the word "change," "rest." different and the same, which are the five most important forms that the visitor raises. I managed to relate all of those five forms and the word capacity to this drawing in the qubit and my little explanation of the physics of that. So, you know, maybe JK, what you just talked about is very much relating to quantum mechanics and this, this difficulty of sorting out uh, this simultaneously the simultaneous existence of that which is and that which is not, or the on and off states sim- simultaneously existing. Um, so, I just put that because I always talk about the the quantum computer and qubit, and I just can't it, I just can't stop myself. So, um, so anyway, I will stop myself speaking, and and we'll go to to Darren.
1: Darren, your thoughts. Hi. uh So, just want to make a an observation, which is that.
4: Um, there's a uh, something like two different things that Plato seems to want to say about the forms um and how the philosopher relates to them. so um I thought it was interesting, um especially because
1: um the philosopher or or being philosophical comes up in relation to um, to um these two ways of relating to the form. So um, on, sorry, I'm trying to, 30, so this is um, at 259.
4: Um, he talks about the completely unmusical and unphilosophical person. So he says it's unept to try to separate everything from everything else. It's a sign of a completely unmusical and unphilosophical person. Um, to dissociate each thing from everything else is to destroy totally everything there is to say the weaving together of forms is what makes speech possible for us. Um, so I thought this was, um. so this is something that has already been brought up that, um that James brought up that the sophist tries to separate everything. Um, but that's not what we want, but I think we saw in the, at least this is how I'm reading this dialogue, uh, what we saw in last week's or the reading two weeks ago, uh, which is that um, it's also a problem to sort of mush all the forms together and say, like, everything is one, like, or that um, everything is change or that, you know, everything is um, the same. so he says outright explicitly at um, I think at two, five, nine B that passage there, that that's not what we want to say. We can say that something shares in, uh, for instance, uh, being or change or whatever, but we shouldn't say that any of those things are the other things because then, then that's a way of like lumping all the forms together into <laughs> saying that there's no distinguish. It's like, everything is just one. I feel like he's, um, pushing against both. So, as we saw um also last week, I mean, there's so much I think I think there's so many so much evidence of this. Um, I know maybe some people won't be satisfied uh, who people who want to think everything is one or whatever. I mean, maybe there's a way in which that is true, but this just comes back to the point of having to be careful using language and what exactly we mean by that, though, because there's a lot of things which we probably don't want to say and don't want to mean by that, uh, as Plato's working out in this dialogue. Um, so at Sorry, I'm looking for this um this is at two four nine b. um, he talks about how the philosopher um, sorry, no, this is a lower down. Oh right. uh sorry, at d at uh two set four nine d. So here the philosopher comes up again. So I actually think it's interesting because like occasionally he'll mention like being philosophical or the philosopher. And and I feel like that's when we we should pay attention. (laughs) So he says the, you know, the philosopher doesn't, um, should be like the child begging for both um, and say that that which is everything is both the unchanging and that which changes. So like the philosopher doesn't want to say that, you know, everything you know, is change, which I think, like someone like Heraclitus says. Um, although not, I'm not an expert at ancient Greek philosophy, but I believe that's true. I think we saw that in the Theatetus, that dialogue uh, where he tries to refute Heraclitus' the idea uh, m- much more explicitly and at length than here. Um, so, anyway, the, so the uh, so just to sum up, like I think, as we saw in the reading today, like he wants to push against the. Um, the temptation for people to like separate everything uh, into pieces. And he says that's like unmusical and unphilosophical because the philosopher wants to weave things together, wants to weave the forms together to um, be able to say something that is. And then, um, but then we also, I I think the, the previous, in the previous weeks, we saw that we also don't want to be like all those other people, the the people who um, he said that, are an endless or are in an endless battle with each other. Like people who want to say everything is changed or everything is one or whatever. Um, So perhaps like everything shares in that, like maybe we could say that like, you have to work that out, but like you shouldn't say everything is those one or those, like that's sort of like pushing everything together. Like we don't want to do that either. Like it seems like there's some frustration (laughs) with that temptation as well. So it seems like he wants to. uh, So that's just my observation that Like there seems to be contrasting things he's pushing against in the, in the readings in these different weeks. Mm-hmm.
0: Really interesting observations there. And I think maybe when you raise that that, uh, that debate as to whether everything is one or everything has changed, maybe, maybe really foreshadows our discussion on the parmenides, which will come up after we finish with the statesman. Um, and, and so I think that's a, a good way of raising that. But I think it really very much ties to today's discussion uh, and you raised a couple of points, uh, which I've got uh, on the screen here. Um, you did go to 259d again, and and there's that important statement in there, that the very bold claim in there that uh, the weaving together of the forms is what makes speech possible for us. And I've underlined that and put that in bold here. And I think this is a very that's a very daring claim. And I you know I'd like to see if anybody objects to that. Is this claim correct, or is there is it possible that speech is made possible by other means, other than the weaving together of the forms? Um, very important point. I mean, speech again is how we communicate uh, externally through sound, but internally um, in 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 our minds, uh, it, it's that that discussion that the soul has with itself, and then as between people, it's the the spoken. Uh, noise that comes out of the mouth, as the visitor says. So I think that's an important point. Um, and then you you raise that section from 249 A to C. Uh, I think which is uh, which is an important section as well, which I could read maybe uh, shortly uh, too. So I think that's that's something that we definitely need to consider. But as we think about the forms and the nature of the forms, uh, very clearly the the visitor is saying, you know, it's not possible. Or everything that is in existence to separate from everything else that's in existence. There is this harmony. There's this bringing together. There is only one logical uh, uh, entirety that all of the forms can exist in. Um, that th- th- there aren't these separations that chop them all up and somehow the, they are not tied together. Because that, that's that's the point that you you know mentioned from I think it was back in 249 B when you refer to the philosopher as kind of requiring some musical skill and music maybe meaning harmony here, which is something that uh, uh, is a term that's been used a few times in this dialogue. So this the, the philosopher has to harmonize or bring things together so that there is some logical consistency. So uh, thank you for raising those points and, and we'll go to Moshe and see where we want to take this. Moshe?
1: Hi. Hi. Um. The uh, the idea of weaving the forms together, uh, I, I've
6: been trying to wrap my head around most of this conversation fairly unsuccessfully. Uh, the idea of weaving the forms together is, um, if, if I can put it in analytic terms, uh, it, it's the idea of creating uh, what uh, the empiricists would call uh, complex ideas or what the uh, analytic philosophers would call uh, the construction of concepts, uh, because if if you take a concept like cancer, okay, there there is no such thing as cancer in reality. Uh, there are all these individual diseases that make it up, and and all these different uh, malformations of genes and and molecules and things like that that we all tie together under the uh, under the concept of cancer so that we're able to talk about it and we're able to raise funds and we're able to declare war on cancer and and all of these things and if language was completely atomistic and what I mean by atomistic is that is that uh we had uh, a noun for everything and there was a, a separate noun for every separate thing uh you you can imagine uh you know if you if if you go to if you go to the beach and each grain of sand had its own name, uh, it would be impossible to talk about the sand. It would be impossible even to have a good day at the beach. You know, you're just going to run out of the water and drown yourself. So I, I think this, to, to me, Plato makes sense when we can we can keep in mind what Plato was saying, but put it into I don't want to say contemporary terms, but I, I mean relevant terms terms like like you know language being atomistic and every everything having a name uh which is what he's trying which is what he's trying to talk about and 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 take metaphors like weaving together the forms um well you know do i take a uh, I, I don't take knitting needles and and find the forms wherever they are and and knit them together but he's talking about you know constructing complex ideas constructing concepts. And I think
1: that, at least for me, that makes it easier for me to understand what's going on in this dialogue.
0: Well, thank you, Moshe. I mean, I found actually what you said to be really helpful and really, um, I think it puts it in a really uh, useful context that, uh, that is, you know, you use the word atomistic. And I think that's a really good way of thinking about Uh, what the visitor is saying about the the sophist. The sophist atomizes, creates a separate entity for each thing. So somehow each thing has a separate existence, not tied together with other things. And, 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 you know, I really like the way, unfortunately, I'm not up to speed on modern philosophy, but I really like, you know, I, I was getting a sense from when you use those two terms, complex ideas, or constructive concepts, you know, the, this idea that it, language is a construction, and thoughts and ideas are a construction. They they build together in a construction. To me, is some sort of form of harmony, and that I think that's very much what the visitor is saying. And I, I really like those those two terms. I think really put it in a way that I can understand. Um, you know, that you have to take each part, which is not a separate atom, but it's all part of a of a unity. And you put it into some complex uh, structure or some some constructive concept, Um, but you can't say each part is on its own completely separate from any every other part. And I think that's it's a fundamental basis of reality that the visitor is trying to say and he's trying to say that the sophist tries to say that um, we split everything apart and there is no necessary uh, harmony of all of the parts, all of the parts do not add up to a whole. Uh, And, and, you know, the analogy that you used of the beach, it just was brilliant. I'm thinking of of this, you know, the beach with billions and billions of grains of sand and trying to put a name to each piece of sand as if it's as if it exists on its own. And, you know, that that, you know, when you said it's like running into the water and drowning, it's certainly if, if you stood there and tried to put a name to every grain of sand and treat every grain of sand separately, well, then how would you conceive of the beach? It would just be a collection of names that would not tie together into some thing that we some one thing that we call a beach it would just be billions and billions of different things and that really illustrates the point that i think that the visitor is trying to make about names we we give names to things that are distinct but these distinctions all have to tie together at the end um, so Thank you very much for that. I'm, I'm going to re-listen in the podcast. I'm going to re-listen to what you just said, because I think it really does help to, to put this in context. So um, thank you very much for that. Um, JK, your thoughts?
3: So on the other hand, is the sophist, uh, you know, positions, also a um, a refutation of the um, position of Parmenides of, uh, you know, uh, uh, positing that, um, that there is only this unity of the whole, of, of the one, and it's a kind of a way of, um, you know, in Zeno's paradox, it, it's a, it's a way of spatializing time, and not taking into consideration the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the um, the atomizing of uh, of reality, uh, that there are these particular, you know, separate entities, right. But that they are just, you know, uh, everything that is is just part of the same, same single whole. So the sophists are really kind of complicating, right? Complicating the idea of this, um, this, this one oneness, right? That everything is 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 a unity. So, so I, I so I, you know, it seems like you know Socrates is also doing, trying to, you know, uh, can be, you know, considered as a sophist in that sense. That he is uh, complicating the idea of the the concept of, of just uh, of of one you know oneness that there are these such things as as uh, the difference and um, and you know uh, these differences within within the whole one is uh, is what um, makes language more precise right um, and not get uh, you know caught up in, uh, just you know take um, you know, deluded by this, uh, this this sense of unity.
1: Good question, and I think
0: it is something that is definitely complex. Uh, and I think this may be. You know, I was, one of the questions I was going to ask is. You know, I think there has been objection to the forms over time. Um, I, I I'm not a student of Aristotle. I, I you know I I need to learn, in fact, what Aristotle um, says, uh, or at least through what his students wrote, what he said, uh, but my understanding is that Aristotle, um, rejected the forms, uh, and then others have rejected the forms too. So to the extent that some reject the forms, I'd be interested in knowing what the basis of those rejections are. Um, I think one basis certainly is the complication that you talked about. Um, you know, we want to know what something is versus what it is not. Um, and that's complicated. You know, it would be nice if we could say with with clarity what something is, uh, or what its particular name is. But here, the the visitor is saying it's complicated because it, it things mix together. Some things mix, some don't. Change and rest don't mix together, uh, but they are all part of this mixture of these five most important forms. That which is. Um, change, rest, the same and the different. Those are the five most important forms. And it's in the mixture and the combination and association of those forms. So even though change and rest don't mix, they do associate with each other. Um, and it's in those associations that uh, meaning is derived and that we can express things like that, which is not, which doesn't mean that, uh, that something both exists and does not exist. It means that that something is different from that which is. That's all it means is it? it's different. It doesn't mean a negation or a contrary. It means that just something is different. And that becomes complicated. Um, And, you know, maybe that's, uh, uh, you know, a point that we can take in the summary that I prepared from 255C to 257B, which is I've tried to boil this complication down into 12 points that may be easier to follow than some of the language in the text. So, Uh, I'm happy to go through this, Um, I'm happy to go through this if it, if it helps. So um, thank you for raising that point.
1: Um,
7: We'll go to Bill. So it seems that these forms are part of a unity. And, um, but, you know, you give the example of change and rest. They may be different, but they can, from from rest, you can go to change. And change, you can go to rest in an instant. So they are related closely, actually, I think they're not that different. <clears throat> There's a potential for for making one into the other very quickly. So that's one thing. And you know both both are needed for the whole. Both are necessary. They're an integral part of the necessary. And without them, without one form, then the whole is is uh, is is altered. it's it's not not whole. it's 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 missing something. So those are my two two points I wanted to bring up.
0: Thank you. And, they're, and I think they're great points. Um, you know, use the word integral, which, you know, has a mathematical concept as well. You know, an integral is where you take a series of infinite things and you bring them together uh, and you integrate them into a whole thing. Um, as opposed to a derivative which is where you look at the differences so that's kind of the mathematical concept of that but I think it ties very much or harmonizes we might say with what you said about potential and and to have potential is to have capacity and that's what the visitor has said exactly is required uh, for anything that we say it is has to have capacity or potential the, the potential to do something uh, the potential to interact either as the, uh, as the doer of something or as a recipient of an action. So the doer of an action or to receive an action. That is what the visitor, I think, is saying is potential. Um, and as you said, I th- you know, both are necessary. Both change and rest are necessary. And the fact that we can move from one to the other uh, and back means that that capacity or that potential always exists. So that otherwise there would be static. If there was only rest, there would be static. If there was only change, um, there would be, you know, just complete confusion. Like nothing would ever be. Uh, things would just continually be coming to be without any sort of um, logical order or consistency. So I, I think what you said actually really, uh,
1: those two points really are, are quite helpful.
0: So thank you. Um, now I just wonder, maybe okay. if we can, if we can go through, um, if we want to go through um, this train of logic here, or uh, Darren, you had a point.
4: Oh, um, I just because um, so earlier you asked like what we thought about the forms, and I just want to like before we move forward, I just want to say that you can make one more observation about. Mm, sure. <laughs> I thought was uh, something I found interesting about the discussion about the forms here. Um, so, and this is about regarding the nature of the form of the different. And uh, I think there's a really interesting one. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so he says, um, oh, sorry, I, I use the page numbers of my like actual text rather than, so sometimes.
0: If you give me the page number, I've got the same text as you. So
4: Right. It's um, forty bottom of 48. So. Okay, so this, is, so this is just where he talks about the form of the different. And he says um, at 259E, we've not, okay, so he's, okay, he, he's just summarizing here. But then, uh, so I'll just start reading here, I guess. We've not only shown that those which are not are, we've also caused what turns out to be the form of that which is not to appear. Since we showed that the nature of the different is chopped up among all beings in relation to each other, uh, we dare to say that that which is not really is just this, namely each part of the nature of the different that's set over against that which is. So I think you read this out at the very start today. And um, But what's really interesting um, to me about it is that the form of the different sounds like a kind of relationship, a kind of um, it's how Things that are relate to each other because they're different. You have to be different from something. I think so. I was actually trying to find this. I couldn't find it, but I'm pretty sure at one point he said that, like, he said something like, "In order to be different, you have to be different from something." So, like, different has to be is always a a kind of relational thing. Like, you can't just be different on its own. Like, that makes no sense. Um, And and so, if we're talking about forms, this just seems like a really Um, maybe this is using like language foreign to, um, Plato, (laughs) but it just sounds like a kind of, um, like a very basic concept that we have to have in our minds about how the world works. And he says how, um, but how things are different, of course, there's many different ways in which things are different. Um, so it's not like, you
1: know, things are all different in the same ways. but so, um, so just recognizing that, you know, there is
4: this form called a different, like that doesn't really get us anywhere, but it does, of course, it is part of what so much of knowledge relies on, maybe all of knowledge, actually, <laughs> um, this idea of relationships. So it's not, it's not science per se, like this is like the metaphysics of science, right? So that's the way in which the form, you m- we might be able to say that the form exists, um as a kind of metaphysics of our doing science and I think that's what he's getting at um I mean it's it's kind of I mean we're never gonna like figure out like you can't figure out very specific things through this discussion about the world but it is telling us like that maybe like all and any knowledge of our world um has these forms at its Inherently, like in the very in the very structure of our thinking and speaking about the world, like this is there, like that's the way it makes sense. And so, but I just find this like this particular. I, I think that this idea of the different is like I just feel like it's mu- it's something really important. Um, I I I I'm gonna wait to say more about this. <laughs> I think it, there might be more uh, about this in Statesman or um, and I think in the Parmenides too. I think yeah. the idea of uh, properties that are relational rather than just, you know, there on their own, I think that's, um, yeah, I think there's just something significant about it. Um, so that's, yeah, that's just my observation that I, I feel like this particular form is, is fascinating for this
0: reason. Absolutely. And I, I think you, you touched on a point that the visitor did make that, that the different is always different to something. So it it is always, you can't say different unless you relate it to something, um, that is different from. That one is different from that other. Um, so it always has to relate to something. so that's that relational uh, nature of the different that makes it important and And it's why he says that the different, uh, like that which is, they both are pervasive. They pervade all of the forms. so So that's an important point that he makes. so so again, and then we get into this problem or this complexity of the combinatorics of the forms. So, the forms are combining, but, you know, change and rest don't, uh, don't mix together, but they are part of the mixture. Um, I think that's, that's the key point that he's trying to make is, is that this mixture contains elements with varying capacities. They, they don't each have the same capacity and one of the different capacities of the different, the form of the different, is that it is always necessarily relational. While some of the other forms are not necessarily relational, so I think that was a very important uh, point that you raised, and and certainly when you talked about uh, you know the forms as maybe a, the nature of our knowledge, and, and you mentioned science, you know is it is it almost as if the forms are the science of science? Um, I see the forms very much as as the the way we we recall knowledge. and I think that's I will raise my definition very shortly of the forms. Um, the The more precision that I added to the definition I raised last time, but um, but thank you for that, and we'll we'll go to Steve and j k. and then you know again, we can look at this train of logic and the definition of the forms. Steve. Uh,
2: I think that Darren raised a very important point. <clears throat> I think the way that um, uh, the Greeks looked at at uh, things like difference and change. they're th- they're uh, believing that there's a inherent existence in them. Uh, but if you take something from Buddhist philosophy, uh, the philosophy of dependent origination, are saying that the things in themselves don't have any inherent existence. They only things only have uh, relevance as their relationship to each other. How you know that the cause and effect that from this comes that, so that there is no there is no change or difference just by itself. The only way that there is any uh, meaning to it is, or you know, anything that's inherent to that is by its relationship to other things. And I think that the way of uh, looking at uh, things are uh, the relationship view is what we've been talking about is like a set theory type of view. And that's what the paradox with the, the sets are. But there's also a uh, category theory, which I won't delve into, but I think it relates to what Darren uh, is talking about. And I'm not a mathematician, so I couldn't uh, delve into it. But I think that, you know, going forward, it's uh it's an idea of, of maybe looking at things in a relation, how things relate to each other, rather than just uh, how we uh, classify things, how we we make things into nouns. It's it's more about the only way we derive any meaning from uh, one thing to another is 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 their relationships with other
0: things. That really made me think, Steve, that, uh, you know, you asked, is there inherent existence? And it it made me think, you know, again, of my favorite little qubit. I don't see any inherent existence in the qubit. Um, And this is what's going to transmit information in the quantum computer, which is coming up, I think, a lot sooner than people think. uh, And we're going to have to deal with this very soon. Information will transmit in this particular geometric device, which is a sphere with a triangle rotating in it. And is there anything inherent in this, or is ele- everything relevant, uh, or relative, not relevant, relative? And so you've you made the distinction between sets and categories. And this is something that I've been meaning to. This is on my 233 list of things to do: um, is to spend more time with, you know, set theory and, and category theory, and um, you know, as JK mentioned earlier, Russell's paradox. I think these are all important things that. Um, that are really helpful to understand. And I think maybe if I'm understanding what you said about sets versus categories, maybe if sets are the way we classify things, categories may be the way we relate the sets together. And so that that uh, if that's an appropriate meaning, I think that's a very important thing that I will think more about. So uh, thank you very much for that. Um, I've got JK and Moshe, and I noticed Mike is has hands up. And so, Mike, maybe just because you haven't spoken before, I would go to you, and I'll, then I'll go back to JK and Moshe if that's all right. So, Mike, uh, welcome.
8: Well, thank you. Um, uh, I uh, uh, what I'm about to say, I only vaguely understand um, the issue of of, um, uh, of whether it's a one and a zero. Is um, uh, and it could be both simultaneously uh, is solved when uh, uh, when you uh, collapse the wave function and interrogating the qubit lets you uh, collapse the wave function so then it becomes an uh, in, in an equivalence that the cat is not is no longer alive or dead it's either alive or dead. And then, if you have a um, uh, let's say forty-eight of these qubits as a word, uh, then there's an in, there's an infinite number of possibilities that occur. Or, or uh, I'm not sure if it's forty-eight factorial or whatever that are solved in one machine cycle, and uh, that uh, is the magic. Uh, with uh, with the uh, with the device you're talking about now, whether that's uh, there's there's three problems, maybe more, more than three problems. Uh, the first of those problems is that uh, um, that the thing is running at a fraction of a degree above absolute zero, uh, and so uh, you're your, your cooling problem for your device is really uh, uh, extraordinary. That's why they 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 only have uh, they can't build a quantum memory uh, that uh, that that can store the uh, the entire entire Google database, for example, which then would be interrogated instantly, rather than have to wait thirty seconds or thirty days to get the answer. So uh, I, I, I don't know if any of this that I said is really true. Um, that, that, uh, uh, and also the issue, another issue that occurs, uh, they really haven't solved the error rate problem. So they get a whole array of possible answers when they collapse the wave, wave function. And then they decide that one of those is true. And so it's created some magic, but you, but it's not there yet. So I, uh, I don't, I don't know which. Uh, apparently, some of you have worked with these devices, as I have, but uh, never success, never really successfully. And I don't know that anybody, even with the quant, with the um, uh, C seaside events that they've said we've solved the problem, that they really have solved the problem. Thank you. I, 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 this is not a statement. Well, my stuff is not a statement, but a, a question as to whether uh, anything I said is really true.
0: Well, thank you, Mike. And, and you know, certainly talking about the quantum reality and the difficulty of translating what we think is reality, but we don't fully understand into a machine. Uh, so we're we're trying to connect the machine with a quantum realm, but we don't understand the quantum realm fully yet is, is pretty, I think it's very relevant to the Um, in terms of, uh, you, you know, you mentioned the waveform, for example. So when you make an observation of, of a quantum effect, uh, it's said to collapse the waveform so that what could be one or the other, and you use the example of Schrodinger, Schrodinger's cat, which is either alive or dead, we don't know. Uh, but when you make an observation, it makes it makes that reality come become one or the other. And I think that becoming one or the other, collapsing the waveform in the context of quantum mechanics is important in terms of that distinction that the visitor from Elia is making in the Sophist between that which is and something that is different from that which is, which we can say that which is not, but that doesn't mean that it's a negation of that which is, it just means it is something different. Uh, And I think in this qubit, we can see uh, the potential or the capacity for difference. And that's why I've used the, the names of those five forms in my little explanation here, the physics of the qubit. Uh, so I think that's, it's an interesting relation to make. And certainly, you know, as the, as the super cooling problem uh, gets resolved, and it is, it is being resolved. In fact, they are developing quantum computers now that do not require super cooling because of new materials technology. Uh, I think that's what will really make these things become uh, widely used a lot sooner than people think. And it's a very it's a significant problem that we need to resolve. And I think we can find some of the keys to resolving that problem in Plato's sophist and in other dialogues uh, that he writes, just in terms of understanding the nature of reality. So thank you for
1: that. Uh, Moshe and then Bill. Hi again. Uh,
6: I've been thinking about this this idea of the different. And I don't think that the idea of the different uh, is immune from a contradiction. And let me flush it out this way. Um, If something is different, it's either different, different from something or different to something. So if something's different from a triangle, it would be another shape. If something is different from a square, it would be another shape, but another shape and another shape are the same.
1: So then the difference is the same, and that's a contradiction. So I don't, what I'm saying here is that
6: the idea of the different has to be flushed out in such a way that it doesn't entail any sort of contradiction. And I don't think we have any idea of what that would be, um, um, unless we start to fall into this atomistic problem that I I mentioned before, or that, that has been mentioned before. So I just um, um, I, I'm just putting that out as my own as my own quandary to this. I I, I think that I I think that Plato. Um, th- th- this is a problem in Plato, I think, in general, because this this idea that a form. Uh, in order for something to be something it has to be not only itself but it has to be different from an infinite number of other things uh is a problem because how how can you have a how how can he maintain the idea of a pure form if it's got to be different from all these other things because it the 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 difference in in one form
1: would vitiate the purity of all the other forms in some way i think And thank you. I think that's really key
0: to the the issue that exists with interpreting the forms, you know. And and so I mean, one thing I would say is is just again to highlight the what what the visitor is saying is that these differences aren't hard distinctions. The differences only arise because the forms are always combining. The forms are never uncombined. The forms are always somehow associating, but they associate in different ways, which means that these differences, difference is actually what gives rise to capacity. I think both in mathematical functions, uh, difference gives rise to a capacity for change in the mathematical result. In geometry, difference gives rise to different shapes. And and you mentioned shape, you know, so for for example, we can't say that a circle is the opposite of a triangle, but we could say that the circle is different from the triangle, uh, and each therefore has different capacities. Uh, and it, I think to take it back to the point that the visitor made two weeks ago when we we're looking at it is it, he says that the capacity to do something or to have something be done to it is what makes something uh, be. It, it makes that which is. Um, so so yeah, thank you. And I, I think you know again, the, as you said, that the, the understanding of the different is absolutely the, the key because you know the visitor makes a point that different pervades all of the forms, but then he's also making the point that all of the forms combine, uh, but in different ways, in varying ways. So I think that's a key point to, to keep in mind, to, to keep those, keep those points all together in mind. And it's, it certainly is complex. So, so thank you. And we'll go to Bill.
7: You, were, you, were, you mentioned the, the circle and a triangle being discrete. Well, one can make a circle into a triangle, and vice versa. By straightening the lines a bit, that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, you're talking about things that are different, you know. And I haven't followed the discussion completely because I've been away. But um, I think I think there was some talk about that the, the forms are, are are different, and then there there is an or not is. And you know, if you look at in the physics in the physics world. You know, you can you can look at a particle and and then one minute it's a particle and then it's a wave function. And there's only a probability that one or the other will exist. So we talk so it's not whether it is or is not, it's a probability in the in the physics world.
1: Interesting observation, and, and
0: you know, for probability to exist, you have to have more than one thing. Because if you only have one thing, then there's no probability, there's only certainty. So the existence of a multiple of things, I think, is what gives rise to probability. And again, so if we think of the forms, um, you know, and, and to mention what Darren brought up earlier, you know, this, this debate which comes through in the dialogue Parmenides, which we'll look at, at the end of the season, um, you know is everything one or is everything changing? Uh, you know, That's the debate there. And so if everything were only one and had no parts, um, and uh, you know, then there would be uh, no probability, there'd only be certainty, and there would be no change because everything is one. Uh, but then conversely, if everything is only change and never one, um, then there would be no probability of outcome because there'd be no outcome, there'd just be continuous change. So, I, you know, maybe to put it into computer science type terminology, maybe that's, you know, one relevant thing that we might want to think about. So I think it's a very a good point that you raise and certainly that word probability, um, I think ties very nicely with the, the idea that the visitor brings to the table, which is that anything which is has capacity and probability is what we deal with when we've got two or more things that have capacity and difference. Uh, and I think it's it's the way we really interpret things and think about reality is in these in these concepts, so thank you for for raising that. Um, and we'll go back to Mike.
1: Uh,
8: uh, tying Bill's comment to um the quantum issue, it's not either a wave or a uh, or a particle it's It's both a wave and a particle at the same time. and uh, and uh, uh, although whether uh, uh, tying that to a to complex belief, uh, they say uh, Jesus is not either a God or a man. he's a he's a man a hundred percent man and a hundred percent God if you if you accept that paradigm. Uh, uh, which, uh, like everything else, I'm not sure I accept any paradigms. Uh, he's he, he, so uh, it's both a wave and a particle, and Jesus is 100% man and 100% God, and it's not probability. It's uh, uh, it's um, again this uh, complex way of looking at things, which uh, uh, be, it defies our imagination. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, certainly in this drawing of the qubit, you know, we've got the wave, which is denoted by the Greek symbol psi. And, and then, uh, you know, maybe the, the point is where the X, Y and Z axes meet together right in the middle, which is none of it. Um, so and, and this is something that we have to understand. But I think, you know, like, as you said, you know, if I guess if, if we're not sure you know, what something is, whether it's a wave or a, or a particle, uh, or something that we're talking about, you know, and you use the example of Jesus, uh, at the end of the day, if we're communicating, we have to arrive at some conclusion. And the conclusion is, you know, some sort of com- combination of what we, of our experience and, and the thoughts and ideas that we share. And I think that's the important part, you know, about the nature of knowledge in this whole thing is that to transmit knowledge, we 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 have to I mean, we're always transmitting with uncertainty, but somehow in our getting together, we try to resolve that uncertainty uh, into something that is more certain, knowing that we can never be fully certain because of Gödel's uh, incompleteness theorems uh, and Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. So, you know, we, we just have to live with uncertainty. But I think the point of language and communication is so that we can we can overcome most of that and we can work together in some sort of harmony and combination. Uh, you know, with some love of knowledge, with some philosophy, uh, to approach the challenges that face us. Because if one of any any one of us tried to do this alone, we would never be able to survive, you know. So, the only way we can survive is if we survive together. And I think the very important point here is that it's the way we communicate with each other. It's the words and the names that we use and the verbs that we use uh, that really convey these, these ideas and thoughts. So, um, maybe I'll use that as a segue to introduce my definition here in about seven lines and, and let's see what people think, but maybe I can go to that section that I've condensed and distilled from, the, um, from 255C to 257B in the remaining time that we've got, which is only about 15 or 20 minutes, to kind of really drive down into the forms and get you know, what people think about this. So. So this is, you know, I I put this under the heading, what do you think the forms are? And then I'm putting my proposition. So I'm not saying that this is what the forms are. I'm not saying this is not what the forms are. I don't know what the forms are. I'm uncertain, but I take all of what I've read from Plato, uh, from this dialogue, from Timaeus, from Phaedrus, from Phaedo, um, from Parmenides, all of the dialogues, and I try to put it all together. And this is what I come up with the forms. So Allow me to read this if you would and then we can discuss it and bring forth your own ideas and then we'll go through that that train of logic. So I'm saying the forms are the means by which our minds in the eternal realm of being recall the logical order of cause and difference in the variable state of coming to be of the present to which all physical objects are limited. The forms are geometric. But in order to provide the mind a complete account of the physics of coming to be the forms neither exist in nor affect the geometric limits of space and time that define the present. There are no physics in eternal being, which has neither past nor future, and therefore no present, to divide it into two parts. Being, which is a domain of the mind, is one without limit, having capacity for neither increase nor decrease in its infinite density. Being just is, at all times, its own derivative. And, you know, that, my friends, is that's the best I can do with the forms, taking an understanding of of how uh, Plato has distinguished the present as the state of coming to be in which everything changes, but is always subject. So in the state of coming to be, there are limits, but everything is always subject to the state of being, which is eternal. The state of being is in the past and the future. The present divides it into two. The present involves this continuing change, which involves limits, but there are no limits in the state of being. The state of being is unlimited, it just always is. It's, it has its own derivative. And that is the best that I can do with the forms. And this really, in my mind at least, gives a lot of logic, at least to the way I understand what Plato is saying about the forms. Uh, and so I present this as my proposition. I don't present this as fact, I present it for discussion. And certainly uh we can proceed on this uh you know through our future sessions as well, because I think the statesman will feature the forms. And certainly I don't I think if we don't drive, if we don't want to drive into the forms, then we won't understand Parmenides when we get to that dialogue at the end of the season. So I put this on the table and uh Bill, your thoughts. Um well I had another
7: thought about forms. Um Sure, there are, there are forms, uh, making up the unity, but if we, if we concentrate on the forms, then we'll miss the larger picture, I think. The larger picture being the unity of, 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 of everything. So, um, you know, I appreciate the, 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 the conversation on the forms and the focus on the forms, but if we don't, if we don't, bring them all together, then there is no unity, you know, so.
3: Absolutely.
0: Uh, and, and a good point. And I, I think, uh, I would like to think that what I've written encompasses unity, especially when I say the the forms provide the mind a complete account of the physics of coming to be. Um, and to me, that's the unity of it. Uh, and, and in terms of what the sophist, uh, the discussion in, in this dialogue is that the forms uh, associate variably, but they are—they do form a unity, and, and precisely because the the visitor says they are not chopped up, each form does not have its own separate, distinct existence apart from all of the others. Without association with the others, association is necessary. So, as you say, it's—I uh, I don't think the forms can be understood unless their unity is also understood. And mm-hmm. a, a good point, absolutely. I, I would agree. So, thank you. Uh, Steve, your thoughts.
2: Question mm-hmm. uh, on your the very end of this, um, you're saying being just is at all times its own derivative. Could you uh, expand a little bit about what you're meaning by saying it's its own derivative? What you mean by the derivative, and mm-hmm. and what you mean in that sentence, please?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, two things. I think the when I use the word derivative, I'm thinking about source. Um, so there is no other source for being. Um, being so th- that that ties with the idea that the the visitor is saying that uh, there is no such thing as not being on its own. The, the, there is only being. Uh, there is no other source of existence. Uh, so I'm thinking of the word derivative in the term of source, but I'm also thinking of it as mathematically that which changes. And so because because there is neither the capacity. Of increase nor decrease in being, being is infinite. There, it, it's incapable of change, and therefore it's its own derivative. It's it's mathematically its own source. It, it, all of the change is contained within it. Uh, just like the base of the natural logarithm E in two dimensions, and the three-dimensional analog, the Riemann zeta function, and the four-dimensional analog, the gamma function are their own derivative nothing they require nothing else to to generate um, uh, their capacity they are their own derivative and, that, and that's kind of maybe from a mathematical context that I'm thinking of um, so but certainly in the way that Socrates uh, or not uh, sorry in the way that um, Timaeus and Timaeus and the dialogue Timaeus presents the realm of being—it's uh, it, very distinct from the uh, the state of coming to be that we exist in, in the present. And I think that's what adds to this complexity because we look around us and we always see is the state of coming to be, but that is constantly changing always subject to entropy and 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 it's never fixed. It, it's it's always changing. But being is capable of neither increase nor decrease. And I think that that comes. Clearly, through in in Timaeus and then in in just every other dialogue, I see I see no inconsistency in Plato at all. I, I think Plato is absolutely consistent throughout all of his dialogues. There is no experimentation with ideas. All of it is pointing to the same thing. That's how I see
1: it. So, thank you for the question, J.K. Yeah, if. Uh
3: if you say being is infinite, right? Um, then that would um, entail a uh, uh, the notion of non-being. And if, at the same time, um, um, is is a is a finite being able to conceptualize an infinite being? Um, it's a it's an assumption that we we are. That Plato is, I guess, uh, making uh, that we can—that uh, there are our infinite or finite minds can can uh, uh, you know uh, conceptualize an infinite uh, being and and conceptualize non-being.
1: Yeah, uh, important.
0: Yeah, I, I um, and I certainly wouldn't say that I can conceptualize infinite being, but what I can say is that by using the forms and the line of logic that the form takes us on, that the forms take us on in the way that they associate and in the way they mix in varying ways, it takes me closer to that infinite state of being, but that infinite state of being is not accessible absolutely um, to the minds of, of we who are physical beings, because we're always subject to the uh, Heisenberg state uh, uh, principle of uncertainty in physics, that the more you know of uh, the position of an object, the less you know of its momentum, and vice versa, the more you mo- know of its momentum, the less you know of its, of its position. And then there's also Gödel's in- incompleteness theorem. So, you know, we're, we, are, we, we exist in the state of coming to be, but our existence is in two parts. We exist as a body, uh, which is subject to the physics of the state of coming to be, but also of the mind, which is inside the body. Uh, which is in the eternal realm of being. So we, we've got one foot in both realms, in in the sense. We've got the mind in the realm of the infinite being, and the body in that ever changing um, uh, state of being. And that's why, you know, for example, in Phaedo uh, and another dialogue, Socrates says you, you can't trust the senses. The senses are delivering that ever changing information, and your your eyes can tell you lies. Your 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 hearing, your smell, your taste, your touch. All of these things—they don't deliver the truth. You—you you have to use reason to determine the truth from all of this data uh, to make sense of the meaning of it. So, I think that's uh, that's that's a point. And, and you know, certainly, the idea that uh, you know the the realm of coming to be of the present. Uh, what I'm trying to say in this, in my definition that I've proposed here, is that's the realm of limits. Um, so, uh, you know, and and. In the realm of being, there are no limits. It it just goes on forever. And so, you know, when the sophist says that each name has its own limit and is not necessarily attached to other names, that's where you get into this infinite recursion of being and not being existing at the same time and negating each other. Um, And and I'm saying that that can't be because being is unlimited. If there were limits to being, then it would be possible to have being and non-being at the same time contradicting each other.
3: Right. Yeah, yeah. There's some religious traditions that um, that in order to um, get closer to an understanding or a comprehension or an experience of, of being, they um, repeatedly negate, you know, what they just, you know, right, mm-hmm. um, conceptualize. And uh, also this correlates with uh, quantum physics, because right now our lack of understanding has produced something like nine or ten different interpretations of what the… What the quantum, you know, um, you know, um, realm is, and our understanding of it. So, yeah, that, yeah, it's an interesting
1: question. Oh, and certainly an interesting point that you raised.
0: Um, so, thank you for that. Um, you know, as I say, you know, as we continue in three weeks, as I said before, we'll take a, a break for the uh, the Easter long weekend. Uh, but when we continue in three weeks with a statesman, I think we will see this continuing complexity. But I really do think that um, having reached some basis of at least understanding of what Plato is saying in terms of the forms mixing together, blending, but in varying ways, I think that's absolutely key to uh, to reducing some of that complexity to a more manageable level and, and just really trying to answer in your own mind what the forms are and what the purpose of the forms are. Uh, as I'm saying here, I, I think it really does have to do with this recollection. I use the word recall the logical order of the cause and difference in the variable state of coming to be of the present. And you know, it was in the Mino that, that Socrates says, all knowledge is recollection. And then he further goes on to say that it is the account of the reasons why. So I've used the word account, I've used the word recall. Uh, I think the forms are some sort of memory memory device, not device, but uh, because they don't exist. If I use the word device, then that means that they exist in physical space and time, which they don't. Uh, But I think they are a, in fact, um, we had one participant in Plato's Cafe a couple of episodes ago who didn't speak during the episode, but she spoke afterwards, I think it was Jenny, who said that the forms are a mental model. And I really am trying to build on that idea that they're a mental model, but they use geometry, and they use the geometry of combination and association, uh, mixing in various different ways, which geometry helps with, um, and requiring number and calculation, which Socrates says is the first order of business of knowledge of the philosophers of number and calculation. And I think that's why the the forms, if if this is kind of the the way that our minds, are able to uh apply memory and then to recall uh from memory uh then i think this is this is the way it could work uh and necessarily i mean the universe is geometric the physical universe is geometric i mean einstein proved that with his field equations you know there's tensors in there there's scalars there's uh, uh um, metric fun- metrics uh, the, like it's all of those uh you know in, in 8 pi g, which is a very interesting concept too. So, uh, you know, the, the physics are fundamentally geometric. So then why would our understanding of the state of coming to be, which is, you know, involves the geometry of physics, why would that understanding not also have to be geometric in a way? Like if we're understanding the geometry of physics uh, and Newton's laws of motion in Einstein's field equations, then I would think some geometry is required in that form of understanding. So, um, Bill, your thoughts?
7: I think you mentioned before that Plato or Socrates, I can't remember who's the author of this, who said um, uh, you can't rely on the senses. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought about that. And you really can't because, you know, the human body is designed only with limited capacity in terms of the electromagnetic spectrum. We can We cannot see infrared. We cannot... We cannot detect ultraviolet. We cannot hear sound, certain sounds in in, in certain wavelengths, or um, so. You know, the body's limited. So you know, we interpret things according to what our body mm-hmm. actually sees, and that may not be reality. The other thing is, in terms of the the mind, is is the mind uh, operates in a similar way that. That it's been designed to limit us in terms of certain uh, detecting certain inputs or reasoning in certain ways. Are we inherited, inherent, uh, limited, <laughs> uh, or or uh, can we use our mind to expand to a limitless, limitless um, uh, way of thinking?
0: Really, really fascinating question. I, I would like to think that we can use our minds to expand. I don't know if the mind has the capable of infinite expansion. Um, it is after all an electrical organ. It uses, I think, about 25% of the body's electricity. And so there's only a certain amount that you can actually uh, ask the mind to do because it's only has a limited amount of power. But maybe then the question is. When we combine our minds with each other and we've got, you know, maybe 7.8 billion people on this planet, if we combine all those minds together, what could we create with the combination of all of those minds? If instead we weren't fighting each other, if we, if we weren't committing wars and acts of atrocities on each other, but we actually used all of this energy that we have to actually combine and actually work together with 7.8 billion minds working together, I mm-hmm. would like to think that there would be quite the expansion. Uh, and And we would get ourselves out of a whole lot of problems that we just currently find ourselves in, because we don't understand this whole blending of things. We don't understand the ways mixed things mix together. We don't communicate with each other clearly. Um, and I think that gets us into a whole world of problems. And that's why I think the Sophist is absolutely so powerful. I completely missed this the first few times I read the Sophist, but now it's just it's it's coming out so clearly, you know and as you as you said, you know, like the, the body can, does not have the ability to sense certain wavelengths of energy, like infrared and microwave and all of this stuff, you know. So, and not only that, it's everything that it does sense is subject to interpretation. Like we want to color our thoughts or our perception of things with, you know, with what we think is going on under the scene. Like if I see somebody who looks sad, I might think that they are sad, but maybe they're not sad. It's just, Something it's it's a conclusion that I've leapt to. So it's you can't necessarily trust the senses, and I think Socrates makes that point very clearly in Phaedo, uh, Phaedrus. Um, it's just it's just everywhere. I just find it everywhere in Plato. You know that you have to go and, and and in the Republic. You know in the Republic he says you have to use reason. So I think that's that's an important point. So so thank you, Bill, for that. Um, Steve, any thoughts? Just point of order, sort of thing. Um,
2: you had said that Einstein proved that the universe was geometric. My, my only quibble uh, with that is I'd say that he didn't prove the universe was geometric. He proved that the universe could be represented geometrically.
0: Right, And, and that's a good point. And I would also say that uh, when he was talking about universe, he was talking about the physical universe. And Plato makes the distinction that that is the visible part of the universe. But there is also the invisible. Uh, and certainly, Einstein's field equations do not address the invisible, they only address the visible. And it's it's the way that we interpret the visible. Uh, but the invisible very much uh, is as well. Uh, and I think that's where we need to go with science is to understand the invisible. Uh, and that's what's in the mind, I think, really. And, and that's why philosophy is so important. And in conjunction with physics and science. I really think philosophy is the science of science. Um, And and that's why I'm so happy and proud to be able to present these discussions and to involve people in discussions, uh, because I think that's really the next level of human existence is where we go beyond putting things in equations and and saying, you know, with certainty and we start dealing with uncertainty, which I think is the next realm that we need to get ourselves into. Bill, did you have another thought or was it, oh, I just, maybe what I wanted to do is uh, just because we are running out of time, we're actually a little bit over time. I won't have a chance to get to this, but I will leave this. uh, And again, I posted the notes in the chat box, and these are also posted on the shared drive. Um, So I will let people read this, but I think it's, it's quite important. So what I've tried to do, and I've mentioned this before, is from 255C to 257B, there's a train of logic, and it goes on, you know, it's it's a couple pages long to read. And what I tried to do was to boil this down into the essential points. So I boil it down into 12 points. So I'll let you read these 12 points, but it, these 12 points explain the, 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 the distinction between these five most important points that the visitor is talking about. And I really think that these will be key to our discussions on the statesman, which will start in three weeks. Uh, so these what I've distilled into 12 points here is the way that that which is change rest the same and the different those five most important forms uh, interact and in the way that some like that which is and the different pervade all of the forms while others don't pervade all of the forms um, so it's this mixing of the forms I think that is, is very important you know I think is. Uh as Moshe pointed out, you know, that that's a, a significant question that we have to come to grips with if we're going to accept um, the notion of the forms and, and then also address the concerns of those who don't believe the forms are and that believe somehow that existence is different from the way that they're being presented by Plato in the, in the context of the forms. And so uh, not only do we have to come to some conclusion on what the forms are, we also then need to talk about the objections to, uh, to that people raise to the forms, and I think only then can we arrive at some sort of collective conclusion. Uh, but I do think that collective c- conclusion will point to the nature of knowledge and the way that we understand and present and communicate knowledge. And I think that is what this world needs to move forward, instead of moving backward into. War and destruction, and all of these things that we've been through before, and we just seem to forget, and we do it again again and again. And we just simply need to move away from that because there is this collective knowledge that is waiting out there, uh, and it's waiting for us to get together and use enough brain power to really access this. Uh, and the more we destroy that brain power, the more we destroy our own, our own potential. Uh, the less we will have access to that infinite realm. And the more that we will always tie ourselves up in the limits of the realm of the coming to be, which is that realm that we can see around us. And it's not the invisible realm, which is infinite. And that's where we really need to get is from this realm that we see around us, which is a state of coming to be always changing. And we need to move into the the far more, uh, far more promising and unlimited realm of, of being, which is not, absolutely accessible, but I think we can move ourselves a lot closer to that, so. So, um, thank you all, I, I would, just, I, I guess I will end it there and thank you all for participating and, and you know, boy, there were some really powerful discussions, you know, as I said, Moshe, I'm gonna go back and listen to what you said. Uh, JK, you said some really fascinating things, you know, Steve, you made some points, Mike, you know, Bill, um, Darren, uh, you know, thank you all for being here and for making some, some really powerful points that I think really add to the discussion. And I think will really move us forward in three weeks as we uh, move to discussing the, uh, the Statesman. So thank you all for being here um, and look forward to seeing you in three weeks. And uh, for those who wish to stay online, uh, I'll stop the recording and we can um, just have a casual unrecorded discussion on uh, philosophy, uh, Plato, or any other topic that you would like to address uh, for half an hour in uh, Plato's Cafe. So thank you again. And those who wish, please do stay on and others, I hope to see you in three weeks. Thank you.